As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Muddy Knees Media. This Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Winterfall slash holiday season, The Athletic wants you to bog off because when you buy one annual subscription, you'll get another one for free. And similarly, when you gift a year's subscription, you can get one for yourself at no extra cost. So wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, exclusive Q&As with The Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today. Go to theathletic.com forward slash leak show. Joy as supporters return. Despair as Millwall say hold our brain cell. Johnson in at Sunderland and barely enough room for Johnson's out in the away dressing room at Stoke. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Hello there, listener. Matt Davis-Adams here, ready to talk through another weekend in the wide world of the English Football League. In the company of the former wide man, always wide boy, Adrian Clark. That's me. Hello. Hello. Here too is the man who played Little Sam to Big Sam on Quest this week. It's um, Big Sam Parkin. Hi, Sam. Good afternoon, Matt. Uh, an evening with Allardyce then. Was it as fun as it sounds? Yeah, really enjoyed his company, actually. He's probably irritated that I was just uh, asking him copious amounts of questions during the afternoon. Um, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed it and thought it was a good show. And I was more than happy for Michelle to call me Sammy to relive those uh, Swindon heady days. <laughs> also with us from Final Score Prime Video, PLP and more is Kelly Summers. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Matt. Nice to, um, I'd say, meet you, but we're not actually properly meeting. I can just see you over FaceTime, but it's nice to work with you at last. Yeah, classic 2020 meeting this is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, it's time for this. Performance of the weekend. Yes, it's our performance of the weekend. 15 seconds per person to put forward the case for the best team performance in the EFL this week. Uh, Sam, you've caused some opprobrium on Twitter by choosing Walsall rather than Cheltenham. Can I you answer that now? Yeah, you can. Go for it. Cheltenham Charlie conceded... G is the person you're responding Charlie, to. Charlie, Cheltenham conceded three goals at home against Exeter and Walsall were away at Tranmere who were looking for a sixth straight win. So, and Walsall aren't particularly good at the moment. I mean, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Thanks Charlie. for the tweet anyway, you're Charlie. Than that. <laughs> <laughs> right, Sam, you can go first then. Uh, Walsall, 15 seconds, start now. As I said, Walsall, not one in six. Tranmere looking for a sixth straight win. Form book out the window, attack... 
attacking display, excellent from the Saddlers. Rory Holden, magnificent. What a goal from Wes McDonald. The first time Walsall had scored three since the last time they played in front of... Decent timing, that. Definitely getting better. Um, Kelly, you've picked Wigan Athletic. Let's see if you can keep it to 15 seconds as you (laughs) lavish praise on the Latics. Your time starts now. Well, Lee Johnson was announced as the seventh Sunderland boss in five years just before kickoff against Wigan, but his honeymoon only lasted 15 minutes. The Latics winless in 13 and fresh from yet more ownership toil. May have only had one shot to Sunderland's 16, but the difference was the first career goal for Carl Joseph. And had it not been for a 95th minute equaliser for Shrewsbury, they'd have been off the bottom as well. I knew I wasn't going to keep to it. <laughs> Clearly, that is a shocker. That is a shocker. I, 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 I know we should, in theory, be, be super nice to you because you know you, you, you come, you're kind enough to come on and join us I've never done that before I've never done come it on. before <laughs> you're better than that Kelly right uh, I had too Adrian. much to say Wigan's performance was so good <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't really one shot compared to well, what was it one shot to 16 that was the main reason I uh, I picked it but yeah hats off to Wigan even if I'm not very good at putting their case forward well look it's all up to the totally twitterati to decide who wins adrian you've got an absolutely appalling record at this you've chosen bristol rovers let's see if you can do any better this week your time starts now yeah tisdale's rovers hadn't scored in three games but they smashed winwood into smithereens with 23 shots and four goals at the new plough lane nicholson scored for a messy-esque dribble handler nabbed a classy brace and the performance was fun yep you guessed it they were cooking on gas been done by Clarkey. this isn't good <laughs> uh, right so it's me to round things off I went for Port Vale which is the right answer obviously but my 15 seconds start now a 6-3 away win at Bolton after losing 5 on the spin impressive enough but Bolton had won that number of games in a row before Saturday the Valiants though that and more 6 different scorers their first win against Bolton in 32 years the first time Wanderers have conceded 6 at home since the Burn Park games very good from me, that. Uh, head to Twitter <laughs> and specifically at The Totally Show to cast your vote. Next to the championship. On this week's From the Horse's Mouth podcast, Paddy Power himself and Ruby Walsh sat down with Jamie Redknapp. You know, you can't be a soft touch. You know, people will say, oh, you're nice. You know, maybe you're too nice. I'm not. I've, I've got that. You have to have that streak. Hear more about Jamie's Liverpool experiences, the managers bluffing their way and that white suit. We had a few good looking lads in that team, but none of us can make that suit and the suit look good. It's coming to you straight from the horse's mouth. Listen on your usual podcast provider. Paddy Power. 18 plus, become aware, dot org. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines. A large section of Millwall supporters embarrassed themselves and their club on their return to the Den. On that subject, QPR will take the knee again this week when they play Millwall at the Den in a show of solidarity. They had to stop making the gesture. The EFL will remind its clubs and players of their coronavirus responsibilities after a weekend in which Norwich City's Max Ahrens hugged a supporter at Carrow Road. Positive news late last week that there's a bailout for EFL clubs on a case-by-case basis, the specifics of which have inevitably pleased some and not others. And Neil Warnock isn't happy. The, the facilities that we've got changing was an absolute disgrace today. I want to put animals in it. 
Thanks to Neil for that much-needed levity. We've got to start at the Den, though. Millwall nil, Derby one. Events pre-kick-off, though, sadly overshadowing the result as a large number of returning Millwall supporters met the players taking a knee with a chorus of boos. Millwall defender Marlon Romeo said afterwards, I don't know how they thought that would make me feel. I don't know what they thought taking a knee stood for. I feel really low, probably the lowest I've felt in my time at this club. Uh, Scroobius Pitt podcaster, actor and Millwall fan said it was an embarrassment. Barney Ronne and Mike Calvin, two prominent Millwall supporting journalists, also voiced their disgust. This all long before Millwall themselves said anything on the matter. That didn't happen until Sunday. Uh, that in itself a big surprise because Millwall have done some outstanding work in the community to tackle racism and bigotry in recent years. Now, according to The Athletic, the EFL unlikely to take action as the issue is beyond their jurisdiction. The same report says the FA will look into whether the matter needs investigating. As we say, Millwall taking on QPR on Tuesday. Um, Sam, Adrian, I just wonder as players what, what your reaction would have been had this happened. Sam, you had a, a brief spell at Millwall on loan. If you were a Millwall player, how would you have felt when you heard the booing? I think you could you could see from the pictures that they were bemused, confused, upset, I suppose. There's been things that have happened to me in my career, my playing career, prior to kickoff, uh, which meant that the 90 minutes paled into insignificance. And that's probably what I'd have felt here. Um, so, yeah, very difficult it would have been, I'd imagine, to, to go and perform to the level. And I think Romeo spoke brilliantly I think to the South London press after the game and exactly his words were how does he expect that made him feel and he spoke about the work in the community etc and as I said on Saturday on Quest it's a complete disregard for the people that put in the hard hours to try and improve things at that club. What do you think, Adrian? What, what would you have made of it if you'd been on the pitch? Well, yeah, you'd 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 have, you'd have felt incredibly, you know, sorry for for black teammates. I mean, there's a lot of black players out there that would have felt very angry and hurt by by what they heard. It's it was shameful, wasn't it? Really, the yeah, it's 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 just a, it's a peaceful gesture. I get that some people are trying to spin this into it. It was a, it was a, you know a opposition to to a political movement. That's not what taking the knee is about. It's about um, anti discrimination and and to boo that, I think just makes makes those supporters sound racist. That's the bottom line. Yeah, Kelly, were you surprised that it took Millwall as long as it did to to respond? Yeah, we saw something similar happen at Colchester and they, they were pretty immediate in their condemnation of it on social media. But it, it was nearly a day later that Millwall got, got round to reply. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised at Gary Rowett's post-match comments as well. He wasn't quite as strong as I think we'd have probably hoped, to be honest. Can I just say as well, we've waited so long, hundreds of days to have supporters into grounds. I'm a football supporter. I'm lucky to go to games for work, but I'm still desperate to go as a supporter. Imagine if you've waited all that time and the first thing you do when you get into a stadium is boo a gesture like that. That was the thing I just found disgusting and it gives football fans such a bad name. I don't fully understand the responses to it. The Millwall Supporters Club have also released a statement that I don't even want to talk about because I don't think it deserves our time on this podcast. You can probably tell from my voice I'm angry. I was on final score with Micah Richards and Dion Dublin on Saturday when this all came out and seeing Mike said he doesn't even want to talk about it anymore because it's it's done we've talked about it we all know this should not be happening it's as Adrian said there it's a peaceful gesture 
and we should be supporting these players. And I really felt for the Millwall player that came out and spoke about it as well. How did those black players on that pitch feel? Um, yeah, it's it's really, really distressing. Millwall will only know why they took as long as they did. There must be reasons. And also there was reports that maybe some of the Millwall staff actually went and spoke to senior officials at the club. I read um, in a report the other day to see what was going to be done about it. So hopefully this isn't the last we hear of it and Millwall will take more positive actions because as Sam said before, they've done so much positive stuff to stop this happening. Um, seems trite to, to talk about the game after that, but but trite is my stock in trade. Um, do you think Wayne Rooney's going to get the job full-time, Clarky? Well, they're unbeaten, aren't they? Um, it's definite improvement. Uh, I think this was this was his, his best day yet, no doubt about it. More changes. Obviously, he made seven for the first game, um, four for this one. Um, Bielik coming into the midfield was, was the big call. I remember him at Arsenal. Um, talented player and he's been blighted by injuries. So, so that was a brave call that worked. Um, tactically, I think it, this was a really sound performance in, in midfield. They were they were solid. And Curtis Davis, who I don't think's had a very good season, um, but 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 he rose to the occasion and and got the better of Big Matt Smith. So so yeah, lots lots to like about this derby performance. They still only they've still failed to to score more than once in any game this season, which is just crazy. Um, they they need to improve on that, but but yeah, they're um, they're more efficient, I'd say, under Rooney than they were under Koku, where they basically just knocked it around and went nowhere. Uh, meanwhile, at the Madstad, Sam was on hand for the the moment of madness. There were two thousand supporters there. First of all, Sam, did did it make much of a difference to how the game played out? Do you think? No, I don't think so. Um, it was good noise when the, the Reading players ran out and it was nice to see Lucas Jow wheeling away towards a, a stand that had supporters in it and, and celebrating. But no, I think that would encourage both teams. I don't think it's going to give home advantage. I'm not on board with that whatsoever. I think the Forest players would have enjoyed it uh, for 15 minutes <laughs> and then it was a disaster, an absolute disaster. I mean, what chance have you got? I thought Forrest actually set up quite encouragingly and Lyle Taylor had a big chance at nil-nil. Looked like Arta and, and Cafu were going to play as advanced midfielders with Yates just sitting and looked like he was going to have a bit more support, Lyle Taylor. So I was optimistic uh, that Forrest were going to give a better account of themselves than in recent games. But no, it was as comfortable a 2-0 uh, as you're likely to see once the sending off occurred. And the only thing watching it live, I felt that maybe Holmes had infringed the uh, goalkeeper, but it was an abysmal uh, attempt to take the, the the cross from Samba. He he's got to take a huge portion of the blame because then Yates is working and playing on instinct. Um, not huge sympathy because it's 15 minutes gone. If it was 75 minutes, I could understand it. And there's probably a a time in the game when you can get away with that. But no, it, it cost his team. And Reading played in third gear. Lise was excellent. Ajaria showed glimpses and. Um, Jao got his customary goal. I think he's he's four or, or five in five at the moment. So, yeah, big problems for Forrest. Big problems, especially with, um, you know, Wickham getting a point. And the the lack of goals is alarming. Going into the game with, the, I think it was nine scored and Jao on the opposite side already had ten. So I thought that summed it up quite nicely. And as you can see why he's been sent off, Ryan Yates. He's trying to keep that ball out. He uses the right hand. It's the right decision from the referee. Um, Kelly, on the, on the handball, I think that... Uh, Clarkie might use the the instinct line that Sam's just used, which seems to be the defence from from ex footballers. I don't get that at all. I mean, it, surely you've got to have a logical part of your brain that overrules handling the ball on the goal line. I, I just don't understand how that is a, a legitimate defence for an act of idiocy. 
You'd see that in the park. You'd see that in the park. Yeah. Right? See it but they're not professional footballers. The handball rule now is getting... The handball rule now in general, isn't it? Particularly in the Premier League we see it with VAR, is getting so muddled. But I do agree with you there, actually, Matt. I, I just think it baffles me watching it. I was like, why? Why? I just don't get it. You can't put words in my mouth, Matt. That's a disgrace. That is a disgrace. To assume what what I'm going to say. Um, But I was going to say that. Um, (laughs) um, No, I got got sent off for it. I got sent off myself for it. Um, Stand on the post at a corner, on loan at Carlisle against Shrewsbury. Guy heads into the ground. It bounces off the wet turf. And I just instinctively... Stick my stick my left arm up because you just want to keep the ball out. But what's got, going through your head at that oh, point? Uh, you know that you're going to get keep, spotted. Keep, surely keep keeping the ball out of the goal. That's what goes through your mind. It, you, you sort of I don't know. You hope hope that no one's seen it. I, I guess yeah. It, it, yeah. Obviously, it looks bad. It looks bad. But but yeah. He's not the first, and he won't be the last to to be guilty of it. It's the goalie's fault. If if he gets fined two weeks' wages, he should go halves with Bryce Amber. Because it was his mistake. That won't happen. Footballers will not allow that <laughs> no, to Not a chance, not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> but they should. <laughs> oh, yeah, Samba's one of many Forest players who've got nowhere near their form of last season. Last week, the owners denied that the club is for sale. Uh, they better get on and do it quickly because it's not going to be worth half as much in League One next season. Uh, let's go to the top of the table. Norwich beat Sheffield Wednesday by two goals to one, putting their midweek shock defeat at Luton. In the rear view, uh, they got this win in front of 2,000 Canaries, not literally. Uh, canny substitutions from Farker here. A couple of penalty shouts, though, Clarky, for Sheffield Wednesday in this game. It may be a reason to feel a bit hard done by. Yeah, they probably should have got one of them. I didn't I didn't think the second one was a pen, but but the first one did did look it. So, yeah, I, I, you, you've got to feel a bit sorry for, for them. They worked really hard. It was very well organised, 5-4-1. Um, interesting tactically put the centre half Dominic Iorfa in central midfield just to, because he wanted a big unit in there obviously with Barry Bannon is, is normally the hub of, of that team in the centre he was kind of pushed slightly to, to the side and, and by and large I think it, it worked alright but um, but in the end Norwich as, as, as they've done so many t- so many times just ground the opposition down it happens and, uh, and, and I think from their point of view Farker Farker nailed it Ten minutes to go, he went back three, three, two, four, one was the formation, and um, yeah, it got it got so many dangerous players into the right areas, and eventually they got the goal with the the youngster uh, Josh Martin popping up, and, and then Max Aaron's who is a great talent, um, scored too. So so yeah, good win for Norwich, but Sheffield Wednesday signs of improvement, I think. Signs of improvement, Kelly, but still no wins for for Tony Pulis. Is, is he waiting to waiting for January so he can stockpile some seven foot centre halves? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we should judge their season on games like this because I've been really impressed with Norwich. I've seen a lot of them out of all of the teams that have come down. Norwich and Bournemouth have impressed me the most, so their season shouldn't be judged on that. I think they were unfortunate not to get anything from this game. But I do think he's probably looking to get to January. I think they're going to be okay, to be honest. I think that he's got the nous to get them out of it. I think he's still feeling his way into the squad. The fact that you mentioned there, I offer playing in a different position. I think he's trying to work out the best way for each game. But we'll talk about Watford shortly. But Troy Deeney talked about in their game uh, that they were out, kind of out fought, and it was a typical championship team. That's what Tony Pulis will get Sheffield Wednesday back to being. They'll be dogged, they'll be hard to beat. And it's so nearly paid off for them at the weekend at Carrow Road. 
as for Norwich, Sam, they look like the team to beat, really, don't they? Because they'd had a bit of a sticky week, that, that loss at Luton, and, and they'd only drawn at home to Coventry. But the fact that even when they're not playing well, generally they seem able to, to pick up a result bodes well for the rest of the season for them. Yeah, and you, you have to factor in that they've been decimated by injuries as well. So really good recovery the other day. I think Campwell, Hugh Gill and Kieran Dowler are returning to training. So shows that that, that was a brilliant victory. A couple of stats on what Adrian touched on, the late goals. Um, last 10 minutes of games, that's given them 15 extra points, the late goals, which is just incredible considering I think they sit on 31 and Vrancic, um, those three late goals, I think, that he scored this season previously have returned points. Obviously, the two assists at the, the weekend. And I saw a stat from a Norwich City supporter that, if you remember back to the tail end of the championship winning season, he scored a late free kick against same opposition, Sheffield Wednesday. He's played, um, sorry, City have scored eight championship goals at Carrow Road since that free kick in the tail end of that season. Uh, he scored or assisted all eight of them. So wow. I think that just shows you his importance and he's made three starts this season. So <laughs> he is the he is the man when you've got Tony Pulis-esque deep-lying defence midfield, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. He still um, finds a way to, to pick a hole and, and to create a goal. So he's a top player and, and very important in those late, changes in shape that, that Farker's known for. Is, is, is he only a top player for, for 20 minutes or do you think he should be starting? I think you pick the right game for him. So you pick the games when they're going to be playing against the team that's going to sit in and try and play on the counter-attack. So invariably they're going to be at Carrow Road and yeah, I mean, he, he is an expert and and sometimes those players come on, have great effects on the game. I promise I'm not going to mention fans in every game that we talk about, but I can't believe we can talk about this game and not mention Delia Smith leading a rendition of On The Ball City in a Norwich City mask on the pitch beforehand. Really enjoyed that. Obviously, she's famous for on-pitch exploits, but these ones are a bit better. And also a shout-out to a couple of Sheffield Wednesday fans who very cleverly booked themselves into the hotel at Carrow Road and put their flag um, out. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure they enjoyed it until the last 10 minutes or so. Uh, let's move to Ashton Gate. Eight victories in the last ten trips there for Birmingham. One nil success on Saturday. Adrian, what do you think of Karanka's Birmingham in general? Four wins, seven draws, five defeats. About par given their squad. Probably, um, but but they're they're one of the best teams away from home, no doubt about it. They're certainly the toughest, or one of the toughest to beat. Only conceded four goals on the road all season. I mean, that's that's remarkable, really. Only lost one away game, gone to some really difficult grounds. So, yeah, just, just good organisation. And they've got match winners as well, haven't they? Let's be honest, you know, Jeremy Bellows has got great delivery. Uh, Ivan Sanchez was fantastic, I think, in this game during the, during the second half in particular. Um, Crowley wasn't in the team uh, in this game. Wasn't even in the squad, but he's a, he's a talented boy. Hogan, we know what he can do. So, so, so they're well organised with a sprinkling of of guys that can can make the difference. So so yeah, it's um they are typical Karanka. He, he's put his imprint on it. That is for sure. Um, I, I looked at their formation. He's gone four two three one, and throughout the season, he's used nine different formations to four two three one. So so they've tried everything. And he says, right, I'm going to stick with this. 4-2-3-1 is the way we're going to, going to go from now on. So, so we'll keep your eye on whether he, he keeps that promise or not. All right, Kelly, Bristol City only out the playoffs on goal difference. Goals, bit of a problem for them at home. Fewest of any side in the top half. And, and they're a bit up and down this season. 
Yeah, they were pretty dominant in this game, but they really didn't put too much pressure on Etheridge's goal. And I thought Birmingham were the better team in the second half as well. And it was a really disappointing goal for them to concede. They're very up and down, I think, Bristol City. Never quite sure what we're going to get from them. They're doing well. I just don't know if they've got enough to challenge when we talk about teams like Norwich, Bournemouth. I'd like to say Watford, but I'm not willing to put them in this conversation just yet. I just think there's a lot of better teams still. Yeah, me too. I, I, this was the type of game Bristol City won't enjoy all season up against a, a well-organised team that will have a relatively low block. I looked at their wins. They've had eight wins. Seven of those eight came against teams that had more of the ball than Bristol City. So I think I think they're definitely a team that will want to counter-attack and Birmingham just were never going to let them do that. Sam, who do you reckon will finish higher in the table at the end of the season, Bristol City or Birmingham? Good, good question. Thanks, Bristol- that was you. <laughs> Bristol City maybe by a place in the, really? the middle of the table. Um, yeah, I'm not that enthused by Karanka's Birmingham, but I don't think even supporters are probably. And <laughs> after such a great start for, for Dean Holden, I think they're probably starting to, to question the appointment as we an- anticipated. And I know that sounds harsh, but um, I think he's improved them defensively, marginally, but I think that's been to the detriment maybe of the attacking play. And some of that is probably down to Vyman and Patterson being missing, who who looked to be a really nice fit in the shape that he was playing. So I would imagine and that they'll be looking to to strengthen the front areas once more because I just think there's a big, big pressure on Naki Wells to get the goals because Martin's not a goal scorer and um, the young boy Semenyo's yet to get a league goal, I believe. So I still think that there's some work to be done to make them more of a force in the championship. All right, one more stop on the championship fun bus. As I said to my then fiance as we hunted down a church for our wedding back in 2011. Let's head to the vicarage. Uh, Watford nil, Cardiff one was the score. Cardiff eight goals without reply in their last three games, Clarky. What's gone right? <laughs> well, they've, they've found a nice balance, haven't they? They've gone gone with the front two. Um, obviously, you're, you're referencing the solidity at the back. You know that's that's impressive. No goals conceded, but. But I just think in general, they've, they've got themselves into a groove. They weren't as bad as results suggested earlier on in the season, I, I, I don't feel. Um, and, and the centre forward is, you know, key for more. We, we keep talking about him. We had Paul Cook on last last weekend, or last week rather, and he was saying he's a complete centre forward, and, and he is. So, yeah, it's, um, it's looking good for, for Cardiff City. They just... Well, they're a pretty streetwise team. They don't give they don't give you that many gifts, do they? Um, not that exciting, but but they don't. Yeah, they're, they're a tough nut to crack, and um, yeah, I think that they will continue to steadily climb the table now. Kelly Watford, your team. Um, I thought this was classic football, unbeaten at home all season. Then supporters come back and you end up losing. Um, <laughs> had this been coming? I mean, you couldn't even score against Forest in the week. I'm just relieved my poor mum's season ticket holder for over 50 years was gutted not to get a ticket. I think she was actually quite relieved when she sat and watched that game that she then didn't get a ticket for Tuesday night. Um, Yeah, I've said it a few times to people that have asked me about Watford this season. Results have generally been better than the performances. And on a weekend in which we saw Norwich and Bournemouth really show their class, it was really disappointing. Actually, I mentioned what Troy Deeney said before about having a job job done on them by a good championship team. Watford are going to come across these multiple times this season. They had a really good start. They didn't score. They could have been there all day and not scored. Mm -hmm. And we talk about Cardiff being impressive, um, the fact that they're organised, typical championship team. 
That's the ninth goal they've scored from a set piece this season. That's a league high. They scored 23 last season from a set piece. Watford should have known, defend the set pieces. And so far under Ivic, they've been pretty solid, but they are struggling to break things down. He's got real headaches in midfield. We've got a brilliant squad. Look at it. Like some of the players should still be in the Premier League, but there's a reason they're not. <laughs> we got relegated last season. It was actually the first time a Watford midfield has been without Etienne Capou, Decore and Chalabar for the first time, time since December 2017. And we played cleverly in Ghana and it was two defensive midfielders and we were just stifled creatively. Two of them in the team doesn't work. Will Hughes did come on, one of four subs that Ivic tried to make to change the game. He's been injured and he could be key in turning it around for us in terms of we've got the basis there, we just can't turn defence into attack and we can't score the goals. And I think he's still trying to work out his best team as well, to be honest. Goals are the real problem. It was a disappointing goal to concede, but we've got to get these strikers scoring. Um, Sam, as our, as our striker expert, you were a, a big man up front for, for your career. Who would you rather have in your team at the moment out of Kiefer Moore and Troy Deeney? That's a really bad question, considering <laughs> the one you asked me previously. <laughs> Kiefer Moore by considerable distance. In fact, and I played with Troy, and uh, he's tough, so I'll tread carefully. Um, <laughs> I think there's an argument to give Peritza, I believe he's pronounced, uh, a start because I saw him against Luton and I think he got the goal and he was pretty impressive. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be too sure that Troy is going to feature as regularly as maybe some outsiders uh, believe. Uh, that's not the only other, that's not the only issue here. Um, the, the, the formation, I think he wanted to play a back four when he came in. He didn't have a left back. He's still not got a left back. I think Wilmot played there at the weekend. Uh, he's had a decent start to the season, but th that's a problem. I think Semmer's form has really dropped. And I think he was guilty at the weekend of quite a lot of wasteful balls from the wide areas. Um, the stat was they put 30 crosses in and only made the first contact five times, which tells you a bit like Arsenal Tottenham. Clark I was going to say, I was I going to say that. This in. Yeah, yeah. A bit Go like Arsenal Tottenham um, <laughs> because Cardiff are so strong defensively and sat in. They uh, resorted to just putting balls into the box. Watford, they don't have the answers, as Kelly said. They don't have the guile in the midfield until Will Hughes came on. So it was a bit of that and a bit of Cardiff brilliant defensively that, that made them get the result. But I think there's problems for, for Watford and I think Kelly summed that up well. He still probably doesn't know who his go-to men are and what his best formation is right yet. I do agree with you on the fact that Troy probably, the outsiders think he's going to play every single game. I wonder yeah. if his injuries and stuff he seems fully fit again now which is which is great he definitely offers something against Preston last week he was brilliant I've known people that were at the game working and they said he offered the voice the vocal aspect which we don't have that many big characters in that squad so he brings that Peritza I completely agree with you he's actually been out injured that's the reason he hasn't featured as much Andre Gray and Troy Deeney they wanted to see up top Gray is now injured as well as a few off the pitch issues as well so there's been a few issues as well Ken Semmer you mentioned was our standout player for the past couple of past couple of months he's been out um we had a couple of we won't be the only team to have this we had three confirmed covid cases we don't know which one he was which players it was but it did coincide with ken semmer being out so the weekend was his first game back i'm not trying to use excuses but injuries and covid as all clubs have had have played a part as well but it does look like if is now getting his fully fit squad back chalabar will be back from suspension as well so now there can't be any more excuses really going forward. He's, he's got to find the, the 11 that can win the games. And as Troy Deeney said at the weekend, win the league, which seems a bit optimistic. Mm -hmm. We shall see. 
Right, let's get some odds and build a midweek ACA with our friends at Paddy Power. Slightly different this week with no League One and just two League Two games in midweek. Adrian, what takes your fancy in the championship? I'm going for a low scoring match at the Madstad. Reading take on Birmingham. I've talked about Birmingham, how solid they are. They hardly ever concede away. They don't score that many goals either. And again, I think that Reading are a little bit like Bristol City. They prefer teams to come on to them. So I, th- I think it'd be a low scoring game. Under 2.5 goals is, is where I'm going to go with that one. Uh, Abby, what odds will you give us on that? Yeah, so uh, Reading are favourites in this. They're evens with Birmingham 5-2. to two, But looking at the under 2.5 goals, that's 6-10. to 10. Uh, Kelly, what was your pick, please? Um, I'm going for Bournemouth to win away at Swansea. I said that I thought they were impressive at the weekend, starting to show what they're all about now under Jason Tindall. I expect there to be goals in this one. So yeah, Bournemouth to win away at the Liberty. Swansea, I think, have been pretty impressive as well. But Cherry's going to have too much for them. Abby, what's the odds on that? Uh, on that one, Bournemouth are 6-4 to four to win, Swansea 9-5. to five. Uh, Sam, you've also gone for a championship selection. Yeah, I was told in no uncertain terms that I had to go for a bit of a long shot to Im- to improve our chance of winning loads of bunts. Um, <laughs> so I'm going for Luton to win at Coventry, but there is a method to the madness. They've won, I think, as many away games as they've won home games. Nathan Jones's record's been brilliant away from home. And Coventry have been excellent in, in recent times, but I just fancy the Hatters 1-0. Wow, specific. Abby, what are the odds on, on Luton to win? I, I won't make you go for... I was going to say, I haven't got the 1-0 planned. <laughs> uh, well, Coventry are the favourites. They're 5-4 to four and uh, Luton come in at 21-10. to 10. And if we just take those three games as it is, then uh, you'd get a treble of 11-1. to one. All right, good stuff. Let's head to League One, shall we? This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. League One headlines. Lee Johnson is the new Sunderland boss. They celebrated by losing 1-0 to Wigan at the Stadium of Light. Speaking of the Latics, they've had their takeover bid rejected by the EFL. And crew captain Perry NG has been given a six-game ban after spitting water at Cheltenham coach Wade Elliott following the FA Cup tie between the sides last month spitting in 2020 not good uh Sunderland nil Wigan won then we'll get to the game in a moment Kelly what do you make of, of Lee Johnson getting the gig there it's um it's a good move maybe from the club's view but a bit of a gamble for him yes yeah, an interesting one actually I think the Sunderland fans that I've spoken to are quite happy with that appointment but it's a big job isn't it and it does feel like a bit of a poison chalice at the moment where are the problems the manager? I, I don't know, really. Some of the football, I know Sunderland fans weren't too impressed with some of the football under Phil Parkinson. Their um, tendency to draw games, I think it was 25% of their games were drawn under him. So they need to start scoring goals. I think that was evident at the weekend. The big thing that shocks me the most was the fact that I think he was announced about 12.30, 1 o'clock, and he was in the dugout. And Sam, I know you spoke to Big Sam on Quest, and he said he wouldn't have done the same because you want to feel out your team. You want to see what's going wrong. 
Um, and he made a couple of changes for that game as well. But I, I just thought that was an interesting decision as well. And I think in that 90 minutes, losing to a team that hadn't won in 13, he's very quickly realised the size of the task on his hands. What do you make of it, Sam? It, it seems like he's got the, the ego to go with the job, if that's not being too harsh. <laughs> yeah, I think he's confident, isn't he? Um, probably the reason for that, Kelly, is he's won his opening games at his previous three clubs. So he probably looked but at it. But did he take charge 90 minutes before? Yeah, I mean, he, no, of course not. But he, um, <laughs> he, he's obviously looked at the opposition and I'm sure yeah. maybe there's a tinge of regret there on, uh, on, on Saturday He said to night. me, my honeymoon, my honeymoon period didn't last as long as I wanted, 15 minutes. <laughs> um, I am surprised. I am surprised. And probably the reason for that is that he hasn't got the promotion on his CV. That's the only thing I can really go for. I'm surprised Paul Cook didn't get it if I'm being brutally honest I thought he would be perfect considering his track record in, in getting teams out of divisions but maybe Paul wants to you know have a, a crack at a, a championship club that can get into the Premier League or you know that that's his his thought process but yeah I'm a little bit surprised but there's a there's a risk element to it to the club and to Lee I think um, equally uh, and not a great start for him obviously again had, had loads of the ball loads of the territory and uh, and Wigan, I think, countered quite intelligently late on. Loads of young lads, but got some good experience as well in there now. Uh, Curtis Tilt and Lee Evans, Kyne Smith. I think they're leading the, the young players well. So great victory for them. Let's not take anything away from what was a great away win. Yeah, just on Johnson, I, I think that, that a lot of Sunderland fans were, were getting fed up with Phil Parkinson's tactical approach because he didn't really mix it up. It, it was sort of the one way. And if that didn't work, there wasn't that plan B. With Lee Johnson, there'll definitely be a plan B. He's, he's, he's the kind of coach that will tinker with the systems and the formations and, and work on work a lot on the movement, which maybe has been lacking for Sunderland in, in the past. So so I think in, in time, they'll they'll be better to watch and, and more attack-minded. Um, in this game, by the way, they, they were missing Gooch and Charlie White, probably their two best players so far this season. So, so that that's a factor. But what he did do was bringing Aidan McGeady from the cold, didn't he? Which was a really, really sort of bold call. He's hanging his hat on Aidan. So, so yeah, watch this space. Maybe maybe he can he can spark them into life. Right, let's move on to Rochdale nil, Lincoln 2. Michael Appleton's imps on a good run. Second in the table after a third straight win. Only one goal conceded in their last four. Uh, what was the, the stat on the quest show, Sam? It was basically just uh, highlighting that it's Michael Appleton's team now. 28 of the 40 goals in all competitions have come from his signings. Nice. Um, Big Sam seemed to think that Lincoln might might win the league, Kelly. Do you think that that, that is a possibility? I'm impressed by them. I, I, I don't know if they can win the league. I think that division is so clustered with teams that all think they can go on and win the league. They've got the right manager in charge. I think they're going under the radar a little bit, to be honest, Lincoln. I don't feel like we've given them enough credit. They've recovered from the blip that they had after that brilliant start. Um, and they've got some players that I really like. I know that Sam mentioned one on Quest um, from the Dutch second division. Is it Monsma? Is yeah, that if I said that right? Yeah, I think he's a revelation. Seven goals already. If they can keep hold of him, they've certainly got a chance. But in that division, there's just too many teams that think they can win it. Um, but they'll certainly be up there. Clarky? Yeah, I think Lincoln are playoff certainties. I really do. I, I just think that they're really well coached, intelligent team, um, strong from back to front. 
Um, yeah, the recruitment was great this summer. We've talked about that before. This was a really good performance. It sort of had a bit of everything. Really solid. Didn't didn't give Rochdale, who can really hurt you with some good football, as, as Plymouth fans will tell you. Um, they, they they were just smothered by by Lincoln. They were all over them like a rash. And then they had a bit of quality. I, I loved the first goal. Nice little dummy from McGrand was inside the box, uh, beautifully tucked tucked home from Jones. And then Monsma scored from from distance. So, yeah, they're, they're a good team. I, I really like Tom Hopper. <laughs> I'm kind of conflicted because he was at South End, and he got he was pretty he pretty much injured his entire time at South End United. He got fit. South End were no longer the team that that he'd signed for uh, in terms of quality. So, so he he had to go. He was a big earner, I guess. And, and Lincoln a, a profiting. And um, one thing I will say is that the long winter might hurt Lincoln more than some teams. I looked at who who Appleton's used this season. Only thirteen of the players have played over five hundred minutes. Um, so, and he's, he's barely used that many players beyond that. So, so if injuries bite, that's when Lincoln's results might suffer. But but right now, definitely one of the top three sides in the division, in my view. Yeah, and if you listen to Two Stars, the Forest podcast from The Athletic, you'll know that there is a chance that Brennan Johnson might be getting recalled to Forest in January, which also wouldn't do them any favours. Uh, let's go on to Portsmouth to Peterborough Nil, switcheroo between these two perennial League One promotion chases in the table. Every time Pompey wants to take their jacket off, he pulls it back on. Um, posh though, Adrian, what, what's gone wrong for them? Five defeats in six. Can you pinpoint a reason uh, as to why this is happening? Um no, not having. I haven't seen seen all of the ninety minutes. Of course, uh, I, I noticed that Darren McAntony said that they they've got their tummies tickled, which is always a phrase that that, that, that amuses me for some reason. Um, the fans are on his back. They, they don't. They've gone off the the, the midfield diamond. Sammy Smodix, who, who who signed permanently in the summer, is having a bit of a hard time. He's he's meant to be the influential player at number ten, and it's it's not happening. For him at the moment, um, no, it's, it's 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 hard. I mean, obviously they've started to leak goals, particularly from set pieces. In this game, they were missing Ward and Butler, who are who are two really influential fullbacks or wingbacks, depending on the system. So, so yeah, there there are there are circumstances you could you could maybe give the manager leeway with, but the bottom line is posh shouldn't be losing five in six. They've got an all star team really for this level. Um, they are just going through. One of those blips. I sense that he's got a couple of big decisions to make. What he might have to do is take Smodix out and 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 um, and come up with a different shape that maybe suits some of the other players. Give give other players a chance to shine. Yeah, you should probably fire Darren Ferguson and then give the job to Darren Ferguson again, which is what they usually do when they get in a, in a mess, isn't it? Um, Kelly, I know you're a big fan of that, that Tom Naylor goal. And Curtis was free if he turned around. Kanna might hit this from distance and said, lays it for Naylor. He will hit this from here and he'll score a brilliant goal! Naylor again! That is magnificent! In front of the Bratton end, he just slammed it into the top corner! Uh, for Pompey I particularly liked it because we got to hear the crowd go shoot just before he did 
But I'm not surprised they were doing that, to be honest, Matt, because for someone that's traditionally, well, supposedly a defensive midfielder, he's got a brilliant goal scoring record and he doesn't just score tap-ins. He doesn't just bundle the ball over the line. He does score absolute screamers. And this was another brilliant one this weekend. It's his sixth goal of the season, his fifth goal in seven matches. He scored a stunner in the cup the other week. I was there and saw that and kind of couldn't believe it when it came off the underside of the bar. And interestingly now... He's drawing comparisons to none other than Steven Gerrard. Yes, the Pompey fans are getting a little bit carried away. Um, An ex-Blues favourite, Pedro Mendes, he only scored five, but he did score two against Man City in the season where they performed the great escape. They said that game kicked things off. So he's becoming a bit of a hero at Portsmouth, but worryingly, he's out of contract in the summer. He signed on a free from Burton back in 2018. He wants to stay, but the whole salary cap thing is an issue. So he's definitely one to watch. And Portsmouth will be hoping they can keep hold of him because he's been instrumental in Kenny Jacket, as you alluded to there, kind of turning things around again. Sam, do you think that Pompey can can never get the consistency to to challenge for automatics this season? Or or is it going to be, as we've seen, they get a couple of good results and and then it gets a bit sticky again? No, I think so. I think they can can challenge, certainly. I've I've been impressed with them, even in... Even in the defeat to Charlton, which came on, that's the last time I've seen them live, which came on the back of a brilliant run, they started exceptionally well. And just didn't get the goal to to kick on, but that was a really dominant performance against you know a strong side in the division. Complete performance. Um, I don't think they necessarily had stacks of chances before they opened the scoring, but it was as complete as you're likely to see at this level. I noticed that Williams Ryan Williams played centrally. Harness has been doing that with Marquis. Um, you know, looking at the the heat map, it certainly looked like he was playing off uh, Marquis. So. He's mixing it up and as Kelly says, I think the centre of the pitch, which has always for me been the Achilles heel. I've not enjoyed watching their midfield at all, whatever personnel was in there. I think Cannon and Naylor are right at the top of their game at the moment and dominating football matches. And Naylor's got five in, in seven. Brilliant return for a midfielder as Kelly spoke of and enjoyed the other goal as well because what more has made over 100 appearances now. It's his first goal at Fratton Park, I think at the Fratton end as well, um, for a local boy who I think has had um, some personal issues as well with um, with injury and, and some other bits and bobs. You could see how thrilled he was and obviously Portsmouth uh, fans do make a racket and they would have noticed that support. So now a good day for them. And yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine the majority of the supporters have flipped a little bit and are probably behind Kenny for the first time in a while. <laughs> All right, last stop for us today, League Two. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. And League Two headlines. It's the place to be if you want goals. 41 across the 12 games last weekend. Forest Green entered the automatic promotion places after they beat Harrogate, whilst Bradford are now in the relegation zone. Uh, elsewhere, Newport boss Mike Flynn's called on the Welsh Government to provide financial support for its club supporters, not yet allowed back into grounds in Wales. 
And we're going to start our look back there with Bradford nil, Carlisle 1. All going wrong for Bradford. The Bantams now just taken five points from the last 30 available. What do you reckon, Sam? Is this, is this a personnel issue either at manager or player level or is it something a bit deeper than that? Maybe boardroom-wise, because they, they churn through players and managers and nobody seems to be making that much of a positive impression. Yeah, I think there's an argument to say it's a bit of both. Um, certainly the chopping and changing in, in managers has been a real issue and I think he's been um, given a new contract, Stuart McCall, um, and is obviously coming under fire, quite rightly, because of the, the results. So it's all a bit strange. I think they are, again really hindered by injuries. I think that has to be said with Novak and Ishmael is going to be out for, I think, three months now. Gareth Evans is is hardly featured in what looked like a brilliant signing for the, the level. So I think that has been an issue. Um, but no, really difficult. And this is, I think, the lowest they've been since 1966. And Carlisle hadn't won there since 51 in the league. And when you're talking about a club, the size, the support base, bitterly disappointed. And I think they'll pull away from it. That's my my gut feeling. Whether Stuart McCall will be at the helm, um, I'm not so sure. But my gut feeling, looking at the players that they can call upon in a few weeks' time, they should be able to find enough goals to pull themselves away from trouble. Yeah. Uh, eighth time they failed to score. That's, I mean, that's that, that's too often, isn't it, for for a team like Bradford? I think Lee Novak, when he comes back, will, will make a difference. Obviously, he didn't have a shot on target in this game. Face nine shots on target, so look, it wasn't wasn't a fluke. One quote that from Stuart McCall, I just wanted to read out because it just it strikes a chord because it makes me think. Well, come on, you go to Bradford; it's a big stadium. You think this is a proper football club? But is he on a car bonnet? No, he's not on a car bonnet. He's not on a car bonnet this time. I just read it. I don't know where he was, but he said, this week I've sent out in the last 48 hours to about 40 agents the areas we need to strengthen, particular areas where I feel we need to get better. There's money to bolster the group. Hopefully we'll get some lads in. Um, A club like Bradford should have a system in place where they've got scouts and players, you know, people that are identifying players and recommending them all the time. Stuart McCall shouldn't be having to, I don't know, fax, text, WhatsApp, 40 agents that he knows to say, look, I'm after a centre mid. I'm after a right winger. What you got for me? That's not the way to really operate, even at League Two level. So that that was a worry for me. Um, and, and I think there are, there are talks of a foot to maybe bringing in a, a head of recruitment or someone like that. But... But yeah, behind the scenes, I don't think the club is anywhere near as big as it should be. Kelly, you wanted to come in on Bradford? I was just going to add that it's their fifth 1-0 defeat of the season. So I kind of was adding to what Sam said, because they're not losing by great margins. And with all of the injuries that they have got, I actually don't think it's that bad. And um, they talked post-match. Chris Beach actually said post-match when he was talking about Carlisle, he actually said, I thought Bradford were a lot better than their league positions suggest. So I'm like you, I don't think they're in all kinds of problems. It just seemed like individual errors though. Um, and they lamented it after the game once again. So if they can cut those individual errors out, get a few players back, I think Bradford are going to be fine. Yeah, well done, Carlisle. Three wins in four up to fourth. Uh, Cheltenham five, Exeter three at the Johnny Rock Stadium. Cheltenham continuing their best ever start to a football league season. 
And what's it like to play in one of these games, Clark? You when like every shot goes in. If you score, are you gutted because you think, well, I need to get a couple here or nobody's going to remember my goal? <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Um, but yeah, they're fun, aren't they? They're exciting. Because I, I never really, I was a forward player or a winger, so I never really worried about high scoring games as long as yeah, it was it was fun to be involved in that I had chances and shots and we should have seen this one coming I mean if there was an acker ahead of the weekend we, we one of us should have picked over 2.5 or over three because they were the two high scoring teams in, in the league um, but no uh, re- really exciting game um, it's it's only the third time actually Cheltenham have conceded the first goal. So they've been really, really strong starters. Um, but but of, of those three times, they've, they've come back and won twice now. So they've got a bit of spirit as well, Cheltenham. Ten wins. They're not drawing games. They're either winning or losing. And I think that that's much better than than, than drawing a lot of games. So yeah, lots to like about, about Cheltenham at the moment. Obviously, the toes along throws have been discussed. But you've got a couple of forwards there, Lloyd and May, that... Starting to, to hit their straps, so yeah, Cheltenham I would expect to uh, to be right in the shake up for for promotion this season. And, and like Exeter, they've dusted themselves down pretty well actually after the the sort of gutted feeling that they would have had uh, when crashing out of the playoffs. Uh, let's finish with Bolton three, Port Vale six. Nine goals, nine different goal scorers. Uh, Kelly, I think it's fair to say that this was the surprise result of the day, given their respective forms of the two teams coming into it. Yeah, and this was the one that kept me on my toes most of all on Saturday afternoon on final score. Yeah, Bolton came into this off the back of five straight wins. Port Vale came into this off the back of five straight defeats after being knocked out of the cup as well by Kings Lynn. Um, I didn't see this one coming at all, but this is kind of what we've got to know from Bolton this season. It seems to be very up and down and they seem to know how to attack. They go all out of attack and it produces these crazy scorelines where they score loads of goals, but then they don't seem to be able to control the games. When you watch them, it feels quite erratic and that's where we're going to get these scorelines from um they missed the injured Andy Toot in midfield I think they didn't really have anyone kind of holding in the middle um, they brought in George Thomason a youngster um and the workman like Vale engine room just overran him really I think um and ironically it was a Bolton fan Luke Joyce who was in that Vale midfield who kind of ran it for them and I thought Port Vale were really good value for this win they suffocated Bolton in the middle of the pitch um, Ali Crawford just couldn't get any control on the game whatsoever and there was real big gaps between the wing backs as well so I thought it was a brilliant a masterclass from John Askey who himself was under real pressure going into this game so it was very entertaining for the neutral and definitely definitely one we didn't see coming What did you make of it Sam? Yeah I thought that was a bit of a freak to be honest when you look at the the, the previous results I think Port Vale scored six in their, those five defeats and obviously got six at the weekend. I think they exploited the back three of Bolton and then wanting to overplay. Didn't have an opportunity because they suffocated them, as as Kelly said. And when they had the ball, especially through the dynamic players, Montano and, and David Worrell, who's an assist King, I think he's made eight in in 16 games. Um, they got in behind the outside two centre-halves at will. Part of that was was down to Kyoso, the the young boy who was so forward thinking, right wing back, and I mean that Baptiste was uh, getting a bit of a doing uh, with his aging legs, shall I say? So um, it was a difficult day for him and Santos in particular, but huge credit, as uh, Kelly rightly says, to John Askey for getting those tactics spot on. And can I just add, when you've just lost all those games, to go bold and to stick with your three up front and say, look, they've got a back three and two really attacking wing backs. 
stay up the field and we you three can absolutely destroy them it's quite it's, it takes it takes a bit of balls i think from from Askey to go with that and uh, well, his, his players repaid him for, for that confidence, didn't they? They surely did. Uh, right, let's finish off this midweek hacker then. Uh, I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball in with my selection and pick something from the Papa John's trophy. I would like Salford to beat the Leicester under-21s. Abby, what are you going to give me odds-wise for that? I'm going to give you 11 to 10 for Salford to win that one. Okay, and what does that do for the hacker? So put all our four uh, choices in and that comes out at 25 to 1. Good. And remember, you get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your four-fold acker lets you down. And you can find these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddypower app. Price is accurate, time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions applies. And when the fun stops, stop. Sam, it's been a bit of a Sam Allardyce special, so let's finish <laughs> with, with your favourite big Sam story. It's got to be... Having dinner with him on Saturday. Will it be Chinese? <laughs> Will it be Indian? We flirted with the idea, then we thought for live TV, surely not. So to share a pepperoni surprise or whatever it was called with Big Sam, that's it's a great moment for me. You weren't sharing one. There's no way you were sharing one. <laughs> pint of wine on the side, was it? <laughs> oh no, no pint of wine. He had a Diet Coke, I believe. <laughs> well, I mean you know, why have a diet cake where, when you're having a full pizza? You might as well just have a full fat cake. Adrian, have you got anything uh, you can add to this? Well, no, I, I have been on the radio with him, but I can't, I can't really remember anything funny happening. The, 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 the most amusing sort of thing I remember with Sam is when he said if I was called Sam Aladici, <laughs> I, w- I would be, you know, man- managing in the Champions League. I'm sorry. Just, just not having that, Sam. You know, I know that you're Sammy's best mate now, but no, I'm not having that. How about you, Kelly? What about the, the laughing in Chico Flores' face? That was quite good. I did enjoy that, but I've also just remembered... Uh, do you remember that video that did the rounds of him dancing in Marbella in like a nightclub yeah. that kind of went viral on social media? I think it was when Sunderland avoided relegation back in 2013, if I'm right. Um, and there were some really good moves. So I'm a bit disappointed, um, Sam, that you two didn't share any wine and didn't bust any moves up for going on air on Saturday night. Of course, the nightclub's closed at the moment. Uh, right that's it for this week do join Ali and George this Thursday as they review the championship midweek matches in the Totally Football League show Extra Time we'll catch up with you again same time next week until then from Kelly Sam Adrian producer Abby and myself thanks for your company stay safe bye for now you've been listening to the Totally Football League show part of the Athletic Podcast Network keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh and despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching the Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better, more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now 
Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. Muddy Knees Media.